I know that we just prayed, but will you bow your heads with me one more time as we ask for a blessing on the reading? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for so many different reasons. But we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us your witness and the word of the scriptures. And we pray that as we just explore for a few moments what communion is, what message you have for us, I pray, Lord, that you would speak directly to each one of us in the way that we need to hear what we're about to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If we had to follow the way of Jesus, if we had to live our lives based on the examples of what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived his life, if it was a test like it is at school, I have a feeling that most of us would probably fail miserably. So I can't speak for you. Maybe you're all saints and perfect and you would get like a 96%. But I know, for, <laughs> I know for myself, I would be asking for extra credit. <laughs> because to follow the way of Jesus is not easy. To follow the way of Jesus is extremely difficult. The reason is because to follow the way of Jesus, Jesus took what was in the Old Testament laws, laws that said don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. He takes these laws and then he makes them even harder. Because he's saying it's not just about not committing the physical act of adultery or not physically stealing or not physically lying, but he says it's, it's what's in the inner being and the inner person. For the Bible writers, they talk about our soul and our heart as the thing that makes us who we are. It's the essence of our being. So when Jesus comes on, on the scene in the first century, He's talking to the inner parts of our soul. He says, I know that you can look, like outwardly you can pretend like you're holy. Outwardly you can pretend to be religious and sacred. Outwardly you can fool anyone into thinking you are this person. But Jesus was no longer concerned with what the outer works were. Jesus was concerned with the inner person, with the heart of the person. So to follow the way of Jesus is that our hearts have to be right. But I think if we're honest with ourselves at any given point of the day, our hearts probably aren't right. Our hearts are probably often out of sync with what God wants for us and what God desires for our lives. Because Jesus used to say all kinds of crazy sayings. For instance, one thing that Jesus says is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone forces you to go to a mile, Go an extra mile. If anyone, if anyone sues you to take your tunic, give them also your cloak. We have to go back to the basics here. He says, give to the one who begs. How many times have you been begged for something and you just say, not today. Sorry, I don't have any cash. I just have my debit card. He even says this, and this is probably one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Usually when we think of the people who have hurt us or who have betrayed us, we we don't think of praying for them or blessing them, do we? We think of like, God, just, you know, karma, right? We don't believe in karma (laughs) until we do. But as Christians, we cloak it in, oh, vengeance is the Lord's. He's going to take it. Because to live the way of Jesus is extremely difficult for us to do on our own. 
The only way that you can truly live and follow the example of Jesus isn't by your own power or by your own might. Because if you try to do it on your own, you will no, you will fail. You might do some things better than others, but in order to follow the way of Jesus, you need a soul change. To follow the way of Jesus, you need the help of God. Because you can only do so much on your own. I mean, if we were to pass around a microphone right now, which we're not going to, and if we were all able to be vulnerable and super honest, we could say all of the different sins that we've committed this week, and we would be like, yeah, failed miserably. But there's also those of you here who have struggled with sins in your life, and God has given you victory over those sins. God has given you victory over temptations and over trials. And we know that the only reason those things came about was because the power of God came into your life and changed you from the inside out. To live the way of Jesus isn't just to fake it, but it's to allow the full surrender of your being to allow God to live for you. The Bible writers say that Christ lives within us. The Bible writers say that the mystery of God is that he is within us. He makes his home among his people. One of the other things that Jesus says as we kind of prepare for communion here, there's something kind of crazy that he does, and I'm going to show you what it is right now. Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, now if most of you, as I'm looking around here, we've been here for most of our lives, but if you haven't, if you don't know the story, I'll break this down for you as best I can. Jesus would be arrested on this night. So on the night that Jesus was arrested, he was reclining and having the Passover meal, which was the Passover meal was something that happened once a year, every single year, dating back thousands of years. And it was a reminder of the time when God reaches into human history and rescues this group of people, the Israelites, out of the slavery of Egypt. So this is whenever they, whenever they have this Passover, they are remembering the God who heard their cry and he did something about it. So... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it's setting up the story. Jesus loves these disciples that he's with. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon, to betray him, so one of Jesus' closest 12 disciples betrays him for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So let's pause here for just a moment. Jesus, knowing that all things had been given to him. Another Bible verse says that all authority on heaven and on earth had been given to Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus gets to save who he wants to save. Jesus gets to give forgiveness to anyone he wants to give forgiveness to. So everything has been given into his hands. Now, if this was, now if you're a king, or not, not really, like if your father is a king, and you're his only heir, and he now says, look, I'm in a sense going to retire from the kingship because I'm too old, not, I don't want to do this anymore, and he gives you over the kingdom, who is the new king? You are. And in a way, we could say that all of the power, all of the authority of the kingship is now given to you. So if you are this king, you'd be probably treated differently. 
you would have all sorts of rights, all sorts of, um, I just lost the word I was looking for, privileges, yeah, I, yeah, you, you get all sorts of, you get, you're treated in a whole new way, because now you're the king, now you don't have to worry about doing all that other stuff, because now everyone is going to serve you, right? If you are the king, you have servants, you are served if you are the king. So this is the statement that's happening right here. It says Jesus is now this, in a sense, king of all of the world. He has all of the power. And Jesus rose, he laid his outer garments, and taking, he laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was around him. So this is one of the most radically kind of religious things that Jesus does. The king of the universe, the creator of all things. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who sustains everything by his word. This person, instead of being served by his 12, instead does the work of a servant woman. Not a servant man, but it would be a slave woman that would wash the feet of your feet. It would be a slave woman or someone you would hire, a Gentile, a non-believer that you would pay them to wash your feet. Because in the first century, as we all know, or I, I'm assuming, right, they, your feet were gross and grimy. Some of our feet are gross and grimy, but for different reasons. But in the first century, you had sandals and there was donkey droppings and horse droppings and I guess camel droppings, right? What other, kind of, what other kinds of animals are there? And it was dirty, and it was gross, and it was dusty, and it was muddy, and if always what you're wearing are sandals and your feet are going to get dirty. Now, a man of privilege, a man who had a place in society, a teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, it was unheard of for him to wash the feet of his students because he was the teacher. They were supposed to wash his feet. But Jesus flips the script, as Jesus often does. And instead of hiring someone or having a slave woman come to wash their feet, Jesus, the king of the universe, gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. And the reason Jesus does this is because Jesus' kingdom was a kingdom that was different. We often see those stickers on cars that say, my kingdom is not of this world. And we often get this image of, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is in heaven somewhere far in the future. But what Jesus was actually saying is that his kingdom doesn't function by the way the governments and kingdoms of this world function. It's not about powering over people or imposing things on people. But the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is one that comes from the ground up. The kingdom of Jesus is one where we are to serve one another. Jesus, the king of the universe, in a sense, has to humble himself in order to be able to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, for, for us today, we think of this and it's like, well, no, of course Jesus did that. That's Jesus, God. He does all the right things all of the time. But you have to remember that this was radical. This was just upside-down way of thinking. So as I was preparing for this message, I, I kind of started to think, what would be today's equivalent? Of washing somebody's feet because we don't have the equivalent we all have shoes most of us shower once a day we wear socks our feet are protected 
So the best thing that I could do, because washing someone's feet was about kind of, in a sense, humbling and almost a humiliating act, the best that I could do, and I mean no offense on this, but perhaps the, the closest thing to the grossness of washing someone's feet in the first century was scrubbing toilets at a rest area where the bathrooms don't flush and haven't flushed for days. We have politics. And it's gross, and it's dirty, and it's smelly, and you've been there. Okay, I've, I've washed toilets, okay? I, from, I, that's what I wear at my parents. I was their slave boy. No, they paid me. But it's gross. Men's bathrooms are cleaner than women's bathrooms, I'm just saying. But it is disgusting. And it's humiliating. It's okay when it's nighttime and nobody is there. But it's sometimes humbling and humiliating when you have to do it and your friends show up to church for an unexpected meeting. I, had, I cleaned the Anaheim Sunkist Church for like four or five years when I was going through school. And it was oftentimes humiliating when some of my friends would come for different things and they're like, what are you doing here? Because it wasn't something that I announced. Because it's about humbling and foot washing isn't just about the act of washing somebody's feet. That's humbling enough. And I think as elders, we talked about this this morning. It's like, every, it's okay to wash like your family's feet. Like, that's normal. That's okay. That's easy. But to wash somebody's feet that isn't your family, that's a little bit like, oh, you know, like social norms tell us not to do that. But Jesus doesn't care about the status quo. Jesus doesn't care about the way society is structured. And I truly believe that the reason that Jesus was able to wash his disciples' feet was because the inner part of his being was so connected to the Father in heaven that humility was just a normal part of who he was. And so it wasn't humiliating for him. He was happy and delighted, and he didn't mind doing this, but he was showing his disciples that to have a place in his kingdom, you must be a servant. You must always serve, and you must do the things that are humbling. Now, we don't do foot washing very often. We do it in the church four times a year. Right? We probably don't even wash our husbands' or wives' feet. Right? We probably don't get down and do that at home. So I would say that this, this foot washing ceremony is symbolic for anything in your life that humbles you. Anything in your life, events, people, things you read, things you new learnings that you have, anytime you are humbled, it is God reminding you, pointing back to that foot-washing scene the night that Jesus was arrested, points back to the fact that in order for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, we must be humble enough and know that we are servants. Jesus uses all sorts of ways to do this. He says that you must pick up your cross, bear your cross. That doesn't mean that you have to deal with the difficult things in your life, but it means that you must learn to die to yourself every single day, to your wishes, to your selfish desires, to your addictions, whether it be to substances or even to like your pride and your ego and your self-righteousness and your need to always get the last word. How many of our marriages and relationships would be so much better if we just learned how to serve the other person? And it's not easy. It's the hardest thing to do. 
But what Jesus is teaching us on this night when he was arrested, he knew he would be going to his death. Now, if I knew that tomorrow I would be going to my death, I would do all, I, I know what I would do for the next 24 hours. Like, I know exactly who I would talk to and where I would be for 24 hours until I breathe my last breath. Jesus, instead of running or making plans, he takes the last moments of his life to continue to teach his disciples what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is his last teaching, is to be a servant. If you only remembered one thing about Jesus' life, he is telling you to be humble and to die to yourself and to serve others. That was his teaching, and in a sense, that is Jesus' legacy. I want to, just a few more verses before we break for foot washing. I know when we do foot washing and communion, we always expect pastor to preach a short sermon, but I felt like God placed this teaching on my heart for you this week. Philippians, Paul says in Philippians chapter, and it's a teaching for me too, by the way. Like, I need this probably just more than you guys do. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let the same mind be in you that is in Christ. In essence, he is saying, how Christ was, be like him. And here's what's interesting. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, after he had been beaten up, I mean, he was in a rough shape physically and emotionally. What he tells the people, like what he prays when the Roman people, or the Roman soldiers were beating him, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Jesus was turning everything upside down. I would be fighting. Like, I, I don't know if I would, really, because <laughs> But I would think that I would be reluctant, and I probably wouldn't be praying a prayer of, Father, please forgive them. And so this, what this is teaching us is that the mind that is in Christ must be in you. We must do everything that we can to imitate Christ. This isn't a command. This is God's wisdom saying, if you want to live life to the fullest, Jesus says he comes to give us life more abundantly. It's a quality of life. Then let the same mind that is in Christ be in you. And this is, goes back to where we started. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. So, right, he is the king. He is the son of the king. He can command people and have people wash my feet, and he can have all these servants and slaves, and he is in a position of authority. But Paul says he didn't do that. Instead, the more power and authority that Jesus was given, the more he descended into servanthood. Because to truly live into the kingdom of, of heaven is not to go up and elevate ourselves as righteous and self-righteous people, but rather to humble ourselves down to the lowest kind of base level of who we are. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. This is the Jesus who was in, for all eternity, present in the presence of the Father. And he didn't take that for granted, but instead he showed people how to serve and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think I have one more verse. The greatest among you will be your servants. So I want to take this time now as we break for the foot washing. 
I know it's a little bit weird. I know foot washing isn't something we do well in our culture. I know some of you are going to take your wife and take your husband, brother or sister, and you're going to go and wash someone's feet. But I would invite you to maybe not do that today. If God is moving in your heart, if God is speaking to you and saying, you know, I really should probably go wash this person's feet or that person's feet. I know I was reminded this morning that it used to be that if you had a problem with someone in the church, you would go and wash, ask them to wash their feet. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard to wash your husband and wife's feet when you're mad at each other, too. <laughs> but it's how it used to be. Foot washing was about totally humiliating and humbling yourself. So as we break, I invite you to, to try that today. But let's have a word of prayer as we do. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word clearly. God, and even though we are your church, and even though the Bible calls us saints, we are also still sinners. We have hurt people who are in this building. And so, Father, we ask now that if you're speaking to someone here this, this morning to wash the feet of someone they need to wash, Father, I pray that you would give them the holy courage and the holy conviction. Father, I pray that you would keep all of us from passing any sort of judgment. And Lord, we pray that as we participate in this ancient ritual, that it wouldn't just be outward appearance, but that you would use it to change the inner parts of our heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to invite you now to to go over to the rooms. Um, John, or where are the rooms? Okay, do you guys get that? Family room, men, and then women on the far right. And so as soon as you're done, let's come back because then we want to go through our communion service.